Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Principle Show. My name is Hassan Malik. I'm a doctor who's training in psychiatry. I'm also an electronic musician. I'm based here in the northwest of England. Melodic Distraction have been kind enough to provide me with space to discuss psychological concepts with you. This episode is on psychedelics. They're also called hallucinogens from hallucinari to wander in the mind, mind manifesting. They're called entheogens. We thought we could deconstruct some of the myths and legends around it and try to show you why scientists are so excited about this drug and the potential it holds for the human mind. Here in the studio, I've invited to share his knowledge, Dr. Maruf Mustafa, who's a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists. He hails from Lagos, Nigeria, where he has experience working in mental health services such as addiction and has received training in South Africa on using psychedelics for psychotherapy. Hello, listeners. Good evening. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you here, um, Hassan. And a pleasure to have you in the studio. There was an important heads up that we wanted to give before we start the show. Mafi, you want to take this one? So we have chosen to talk about this very interesting topic of psychedelics from a position of responsibility and from a position of education as well. We obviously know the baggage that comes with discussions around this. We have thought amongst ourselves that who is better qualified to talk about this than us to give general information to the public. This should not be seen as us condoning wanton and indiscriminate use of psychedelics not in adults and especially not in children whose minds and brains are still developing listen with caution and um, if you do need individual advice because this is just a general conversation please speak with your doctors or speak with your psychiatrists about moving things forward for yourself we cannot give specific advice on this show because it's just general information. Thank you. All right. So with that, let's go to our first song, which is by Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit, which was given a rendition in a very recent sci-fi movie featuring Keanu Reeves. Let's see if you can guess it.
So welcome back to the show. Um, I guess you enjoyed um, that song if you're listening closely. There were some interesting um, lines in there, which feeds very well into the conversation I and Hassan were just having mm-hmm. um, over over the last few months, actually. Conversations we see on social media, on popular news nowadays, actor yeah. Strain Ayahuasca, this other person is doing some other hallucinogenic and uh, they all fit into this um, well-being theme. Mm. And it's spoken about in very good light in society nowadays, as opposed to um, a few decades back. So quite interesting, these questions we get asked. And we just thought, uh, how about we have a very open, candid conversation about this, share some of the information and knowledge and research available to us. Okay, so can you tell me what you understand by hallucinogens? Hallucinogens. Different categorizations, different ways to say the same thing. Some will call it the flesh of the gods. Some will call it acid, mind-bending, mind-altering. Some would even call it the psychotomimetics that is mimicking frank psychotic breakdown. Yeah, and entheogen is a word which seems to crop up. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah, and that is, I think, is one of the more interesting ways to talk about these um, molecules that we're talking about. Entheogen means God-generating. So I guess entheogen is rituals and practices. A lot of it is to do with communication with a different dimension or the divine, or it seems to be themes which crop up quite often. One of the uh, early proponents or one of the early experiments was to do more with divinity and theology with LSD, which became, became quite famous and it's now called the Marsh Chapel experiment or... Yeah, the Good Friday experiment. Yeah. Very interesting um, chapter in the history of, um, in the modern history of psychedelics. Our dear, our dear friend, <laughs> so to speak, Timothy Leary supervised um, one of his PhD students in the Harvard Divinity School. Mm. And um, they administered um, LSD, we'll come to what LSD is in a bit, to a couple of um, PhD level students who were studying to become... A bunch, actually, I think. (laughs) So they... um, so yeah, so this person heard that the LSD had entered, this is the 50s, if I'm not mistaken, and yes. LSD had entered the, uh, what should I say, the Western diaspora or Western conversation on the back of its synthesization by Albert Hoffman and some articles published in Life magazine. Yeah. Well, uh, this around about Doors of Perception, Aldous, Aldous Huxley time as well. Yeah, Doors of Perception, Aldous Huxley was also something... Um, an epoch of sorts, I mean, describing this, the last wave of the psych, of the psychedelic era before things got a bit heated. Mm. The war on drugs was launched by the Nixon administration, different colorations to the reasons for that. Some say racist undertones, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of drugs that were being researched then that had shown immense potential or well, some potential in taking care of some mental health conditions were carpet banned under this alleged war on drugs. Yeah, I, I mean, the, this figure that we're talking about, Timothy Leary and the uh, Marsh Chapel experiment, the overtone I got from researchers was that they don't really like this uh, this man and they feel that initially this Harvard professor after doing these experiments was eventually kicked out of Harvard 
because he was pretty much giving LSD to anyone who, and imprisoned as well. Yep, and later on imprisoned. But before, between like doing the experiment and going to prison, he also became part of counterculture. And you know, there he had the slogan: um, "Turn on, tune in, drop out." Yeah, almost like let's say a radical approach to changing society. And there was this genuine belief that if everyone took it, there would be no <laughs> war. There would be like no all what you see in you know the the sixties and how it's glamorized in in yeah. Hollywood. I would say. Yeah. And um, what we had instead was um, a concerted effort by the powers that be then, um, using various tools of media to um, blacklist these molecules, these substances, mm. be it from the chemically synthesized LSDs and the other ones to the more naturally occurring substances. Yeah, the, the, the Life magazine, which first published one of the first articles on psilocybin uh, psychedelics in, in Western culture, the same magazine <laughs> 10 years later after that article did another front page story about the dangers of psilocybin and psychedelics so it seems like within a decade there was an about turn mm. we're not necessarily here to discuss the geopolitics of it but the realities of the world we live in enroached on a scientific curiosity on this mm. and what has happened since then in the late 60s and the 70s is there's been a decline to dearth of any meaningful research into what had shown significant promise as tools in the psychiatric and mental health armamentarium. It's only just of recent, over the past 10, 15 years, there's been a sort of renaissance into these psychedelic space. And um, that's what we're here to talk about briefly as well today. What happened in the 70s, like Muffy was saying, is that in 71, uh, the UN passed a convention basically scheduling LSD as a dangerous drug, as a uh, Schedule 1 drug. They have basically their class according to how addictive or how toxic they are. And they go from one, two, three, four, five, one being the most toxic, most dangerous. It's supposed to have no medical, no medical use. So what that means is that the only reason that you could possess LSD would be for research purposes. It also means that if you have this substance, you can get a hefty prison sentence or an unlimited fine as well. And that's part of the social side effects of um, this topic we're talking about that we do have to enlighten you listeners about. Having this conversation is in no way condoning illicit or irresponsible, non-supervised use of um, these substances. Mm. And we do owe you this note of warning. The scheduling system in itself isn't a, it's it's there for a reason. So, so perhaps for, for me, a common schedule drug I run into these days is a schedule two drug. A schedule two, mm. two drug is a stimulant, an amphetamine. Uh, but yet I prescribe, I give it to kids, I can say. So I prescribe it <laughs> for patients with ADHD and it it's a, it's more paperwork. I, I have to like document that I've done this proficiently mm. and the actual way we write this prescription is different. You can't give this prescription, for example, more than 28 days. Yeah. They have to collect it. That's a maximum by law. I can prescribe it yeah. simply because it's on the schedule. It does need to be monitored to that degree. Interesting thing is that um, there's renewed conversations around um, the scientific rationale for this scheduling. So we're having um, high-level conversations up to the level of um, the parliament and 
potentially the cabinet on new emerging research that could potentially change the way these um, substances and molecules, especially the ones with medical potential, um, can be accessed and can be used by um, people who are in need of it, by psychiatrists, by mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. Depends where you live. Uh, Oregon recently voted to decriminalize psilocybin. The, the running argument goes, uh, I guess, that there are more avenues required to treat disorders where there seems to be a stalemate. An example would be things like... Treatment-resistant depression? Yeah, so if you've had like two or more antidepressants and it hasn't really helped your mood, which happens to a third of people who do take antidepressants. Yeah. So can psychedelics have an effect on treating that? We're going to come back in the next segment and talk to you about the effects of LSD and how it's improving our understanding of the mind and how those effects are being used or can be used to treat mental health disorders. It's time for our next song. This is Galactivation by Shakatura.
there's been a comparison of how the telescope was for astronomy, how the microscope was for biology, and the psych psychedelics might be for psychiatry and study of the mind. Quite interesting, um, that analogy. And um, it's not one that is just of recent. It, it, it goes back to the days of um, Sigmund Freud um, and his cohort who um, is reported had a lot of their psychoanalytic sessions whilst using um, some molecules to enhance um, understandings of, of the mind. You know, I, I hear Freud and I think of cocaine. <laughs> Was that the substance that you were thinking about? Oh, keep that his secret. Okay, yes, no one knows. Yeah. So for, for us, we're interested in specifically the description of like id ego and superego because um, w one of the one of the ways that uh, psychedelics are postula postulated or I guess even some part of it's entered the modern lexicon as well about things like ego death and how one dissolves a sense of self while experiencing the effects of, of these substances. I thought it would be it would be interesting, Muffy, to uh, talk about the effects of uh, LSD on three levels. So we mm -hmm. can talk to you about it on a completely neuroanatomical level, thinking about where where does the blood go, what kind of impulses travel. We can also explain it on the psychological level, like with how it affects the ego. And last but not least, the psychopharmacology of it, what exact the molecules are and how they begin with. Uh, very well said. So maybe if we look at it um, from the neurobiological level, first of all, what that simply means is what happens in your brain when it's on. Yeah, doctors love, doctors love a long word. Where, <laughs> like, why, why make it simple? It's not stuff in the brain. It's neurobiology. Uh, and then they can't spell it. That's why they scribble. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Um, okay. Um, so what happens in the brain? We've been privileged to have access to modern tools of science, things like the magnetic resonance imaging. That's the brain scan, essentially. Like can track activities going on in the brain. So very widely quoted research by Carhart Harris and his colleagues in the Imperial College led to a very interesting hypothesis of formulation of the default mood network in the brain and um, how this is affected or affected by um, use of entheogens. Talking about the default mode network, so what, what is that? What do you mean network? Where is this network? Yeah. Neurons or the brain cells that fire together, wire together. Mm. So, so I guess uh, they move in herds or they become used <laughs> to certain routes of travel. And then they just chatter amongst themselves like myself when you were talking yeah. without listening to other people around. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I feel like the mafia is telling me politely to shut up. So <laughs> I let him continue. <laughs> And yeah, that's the um, analogy of it, really, and the jokes apart. So because we get into these um, zones um, in everyday life where things become very much routine, um, the brain optimizes for efficiency, just like with every other thing in nature. And um, these neurons find out that they 
um, oftentimes have something to say to each other and um, they don't really um, get the full perception or the picture of every other thing else um, happening around them. So picture this, you sit in your car, uh, you just had a long day at work or I don't know, maybe you're waiting for the bus and you turn the ignition, sit down, look up and you're back home. What happened in the middle? How did I get home? It was basically, you know, we call it muscle memory, we call it routine, but your your brain knows it's been through the same thing every day. It knows what to do, where to turn, where the speed cameras are. So, um, you know, you're kind of you, you're kind of used to it and and your brain's like, dude, why spend time and energy on this when it's already predictable? So the efficient way as computers perhaps would work would be to analyze the data and see how you can do the same process faster. That comes at a cost, unfortunately, mm. because we're not getting the full 360, full-on picture of what really is happening around us. We get stuck in these um, thinking patterns or these thinking loops or these perceptual loops. And that has significant effect on things like creativity or full experience and in extremes where the brain optimizes for efficiency becomes very rigid very stuck in particular thinking loops or patterns or habitual patterns um, and that those are the psychologic and the neurobiologic underpinnings of um, conditions like depression or even post-traumatic stress disorder or even addictions uh, if someone is depressed what's happening to their default mode network so the default mode network is in overdrive, apparently. Um, that's what happens. It's just stuck in the same old pattern. That's when you have people who say, I just can't get out of this. I'm stuck. It's like I'm in a rut. It's, a, it's um, the same thing happening all over and all over again. And I'm not really moving forward. These are very common themes of expressions we get to hear in our clinics. They have proven that when, like you said, with overdrive, so there is increased blood flow when you put them in a scan, when you do a when you do an MRI and just see where this is going. So more blood flow, more activity, the default mode network or DMN as they call it, is more active. When you give psychedelics, this controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's reduced the rigidity, it's reduced the blood flow, reduced the activity there. Yeah, the brakes are off and um, then neurons from point A can fire with the ones they haven't been wired together with. They speak, they, they chatter all over the place. And in reference to um, the research we mentioned earlier, it's been shown that different parts of the brain light up very unusually, very randomly, almost like an entropy of sorts. And um, What do you mean uh, entropy? Yeah, what that means simply is that it makes um, the different nerve cells, different brain cells, the neurons, to interconnect in a very more variable way, more random. To give you an example, a very classic one is something which we call synesthesia. And uh, Mafi, I think you have a really great explanation. You're <laughs> the one who told me exactly what it was. So it's like smelling sounds. <laughs> So you're um, smelling colors and you're seeing sound, you, you know, so that means that the stuff like your optic nerves, your visual cortex is now talking to 
the, the auditory cortex. The auditory cortex. So it's basically your eyes talking to your ears and like, oh, wow, wait, you, this is what you do all day? Okay. <laughs> you know, so they're like, so that, in a way that, that's, I feel that explains a little bit about the creativity and the uh, comparison to being like a child where you are experiencing everything again for the first time. Yeah. Very interesting um, that you mentioned the experiences of childhood because children, uh, you often see them with smiles on their faces, very fascinated by every little thing they come across, the birds, the bees, the, the bugs, and um, the wind, the rain, everything is quite amazing to them. And it's there. But we as adults, we often grow numb to, to these things to a very high degree. And that's the brain optimizing for efficiency. That's the default mode network exerting its effect on um, how the brain communicates with itself. And like we said earlier, when this is in extremis, when it's too much, it leads to a lot of these problems that we have in the modern mental health space. Okay, so uh, so we've covered. Okay, so we've we've covered that. There's changes in blood flow. It goes to a specific area of the brain where the default mode network is, and that's a neural pathway which changes. So it, it, there are different electrical impulses in your brain which are being changed and they're traveling to areas which they don't usually travel to. And chemical impulses as well. And chemical impulses as well. The the chemical part in particular, is this a molecule, when we say psychedelics, we're talking classic psychedelics, at least you and I, we're talking about things like uh, mescaline, which DMT. is DMT, there's uh, LSD, LSD and psilocybin. And psilocybin. I, I, I think for us, we, we'll focus more on psilocybin and LSD because those are at least the studies I looked up. So, yeah. um, And just for your information, um, psilocybin is the active ingredient in um, mo um, magic mushrooms. Okay, so when you say uh, active ingredient, you mean like, for example, THC is with cannabis? Yeah. And one of the common pathways they all um, follow is they excite the serotonergic um, receptors. That's also, that's the same serotonin which is reduced in depressed people. That's the same serotonin which gives you a sense of well-being. Yeah, happiness. But serotonin receptors are made for serotonin, which is a naturally occurring molecule. Mm. Are you saying that serotonin occurs in nature? Oh, yeah. Serotonin does occur in nature very widely. Um, it occurs in the human body very widely outside of the brain as well. Actually, I think there are more serotonergic receptors in the guts, in the abdomen, than mm -hmm. even in the brain. Second brain, so they say. <laughs> uh, at least for me, yeah, when I get hungry, that's, that's the only part that's thinking. Um, <laughs> they mimic serotonin quite nicely. The, our receptors, the landing sites for these spaceships, really love them. So they bind for quite a few hours. It's like lock and key. They key into the lock of the serotonin receptors and they unlock it and um, they allow the widespread effects of, say, serotonin molecule binding to those receptors for a longer period and even more um, potently as well. And that's why they produce these effects, some of which we'll run through very briefly. Mm -hmm. What about subjectively as a person psychologically? How can I explain its effects? So earlier we talked about um, the idea of how the, how the mind and the body 
um, work together. We mm-hmm. talked about things like the id, the ego, and the superego. Simple way that I remember them is that id is the child, yeah. ego is the adult, and superego is the parent that we all carry within us. Very correct. Okay. Putting that into context is the id is um, uncontrolled, pleasurable drives and desires. Um, like I want to hear, I want it now, no sense of time, no sense of delayed gratification. It, it, you know, everything has to be here and now, just almost like a kid as well, like you've said. And then the ego comes along um, in psychologic maturity and he exerts sort of boundary around this id. He gives it some containment, well, for lack of a better word, some, some direction as well. But this comes at a cost as well because these boundaries define the self, the persona, at the exclusion of perceiving things from other people's perspectives as well. Ego also protects against the superego. Sometimes being too strict on yourself is also not the best thing you can do. So it's a balancing act, which unfortunately, the well, fortunately, depending on your view, the ego um, is doing. Cogito ergo sum. Wow. I love my Latin. Um, okay, <laughs> so what, what, what happens to this uh, ego on psychedelics? Hypothesis or the thinking generally accepted is that these boundaries created by the ego psychologically mm. to define its sense of self um, at the exclusion of perception from other people's perspectives. These boundaries are lowered or crushed down. And um, there's this, some people describe it as an ego death of sorts, um, where you lose your sense of self and you sort of blend into others or the environments that you find yourself in. The perceptions are a lot more overflooding for lack of a better word there's much less control but it's not a it's not a reversal back to the id state so to speak walls come down there are parts of the brain physically communicating with each other that usually don't without hindrance without a mediator here psychologically again your internal psychological mediator ego is also out of commission. Mm. And some even, some even propose the theory that um, the mirror neurons, those are the neurons, and those are the nerves, uh, those are the brain cells that can, interestingly, almost telepathically understand or feel what other people are feeling in their own mirror neurons become more active and what this means simply is that there's a lot more empathy and that leads, uh, uh, interestingly, so these substances are sometimes called empathogens as well. There's a sense of keen connection to other people around and your environment and nature as well. I think the, the mirror neurons, for once, someone named something based on exactly what they do. <laughs> it literally mirrors the other person's neurons so their frequencies you try to align with someone else's frequencies and they're almost like in sync and that in sync not the band uh (laughs) is is what um is what causes this feeling so i i thought that was like mad interesting you know that it's uh it's not just a subject 
it's like the subjective feeling that you are getting is actually a consequence of the physical vibration and by the way these are reports from people who have been exposed to these substances in, in controlled environments they've given very very apt descriptions of um these experiences and these are can be found found widely published in in um various medical journals and even um non medical um um media as well these are as you can hopefully tell by now these have profound effects on our on our body on our soul on our psyche and they come with their own dangers as well as benefits which we are going to talk to you about right after our next song we're going to leave you with an ikaros which mafi do you know what an ikaros is oh flying without Fly. wings <laughs> no 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 no, no. That's, that, that's the that's the myth guy that's the no 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 i don't know what that guy was called um the, these are um south american songs used by shamans um medicine songs you can call them they're used in rituals and ceremonies and when someone is experiencing a ayahuasca or psychedelic trip they're supposed to ward off evil spirits and beckon the good spirits and we've tracked one of those guides down and then been kind enough to share their song with us
Welcome back to the Nirvana Principles show. There is this new book which I am very proud to own. It's the first edition. It's called Club Drugs and Novel Psychoactive Substances: The Clinician's Handbook. It's published by the Royal College, and they say under desired effects by user. Desired effects include euphoria, mild stimulation, enhanced appreciation of music and lights, visual distortion, intensification of sensual or sexual feelings, and altered sense of time and place. That's an interesting long list. Yeah, it doesn't sound very sexy, does it? <laughs> um, some some other more psychologic um, effects that have been described as hallmarks of sort of mystical experience that comes from the use of these entheogens, um, as described by Bill Richards and Panke, include a sense of unity. with self with others and with the environment a sense of transcendence of time and space like um Hassan has rightly mentioned earlier which is also experienced almost universally across people who've been reported to use a deeply felt positive mood now that can be an either or situation a sense of sacredness a sense of objectivity and reality i.e. still having an insight even though things seem to be very very um hallucinatory around you a sense of paradoxicality a sense of alleged ineffability transiency and last but not least is a persisting positive change in attitude and behavior some will say years and decades even after the use okay i i definitely like your definition much more than mine i thought that made it sound much more divine as i guess entheogens mean to search for the divine within yeah just to give you a balanced uh keel the flip side of that what are the side effects of using this so we do know that in generally in culture people make the claim that there's no known overdose you you can't it's not like cocaine or you know like barbiturates sleeping pills which if you have too many even paracetamol which you can literally die from mm. there is an overdose but it's the actual doses that they're used for example LSD is used in micrograms which is a millionth of a gram for for it to have like uh, the desired effect uh, doses used in studies for um psilocybin i think is 10 mg 25 mg yeah the dangers are more to do with what you do once you feel the effects rather than an overdose simply by on the biological level it can cause rare things which are dangerous it can cause what we call serotonin syndrome oh yeah so that means that because it's activating serotonin much like antidepressants they can also have a rare but still dangerous side effect where they can cause too much serotonin to come and then you know it causes um your blood pressure to go up your um run a fever run a fever run and your tummy yeah it's it's treatable obviously no yeah. one wants to experience that but it is treatable and if it's identified within time the other thing is that psychologically if you're if you're uh, predisposed to 
schizophrenia to psychosis to mm. mental health disorders how, how how do we know if someone is predisposed to that um decent um background check running exclusion and exclusion criteria yeah so yeah. Th- so at any study for example if you're doing you have to rule out certain things if some if a drug has an effect on the heart then or it has a side effect on the heart you wouldn't bring in someone who's had a stroke for example or someone who um you know has had a heart attack um here it's more a family history of psychosis or schizophrenia if there are people in the family of the um what's what's the research participant yeah then the person the, the person the individual if if someone is predisposed to this it can because of the entropy the chaos that these molecules introduce into our brain and there's already a lot of potential chaos there they were just waiting for that and you're pushed into psychosis where you don't no longer know what reality is and it persists for one particular long term side effect is what they call hppd or mm. i'll just get this wrong way i wrote it down uh, hallucinogen persisting perception disorder so it's long lasting there are two types one is type 1 which colloquially is known as flashbacks mm. so that means that any point in the future after you have ingested a psychedelic substance you can have experiences which seem very familiar as if you are back on it yeah usually you can recognize them and it's almost like a familiar feeling and it goes away and that's that sometimes it might come back it's perceptible but it's it doesn't really you know let's say harm you or you are aware that okay i'm i'm feeling a bit weird but then you're back you still maintain reality testing yep on the other hand is the type 2 one which is the endless trip so that means that the the perceptions are distorted for a time and uh, you know so everything looks like it's made of candy sounds not too bad i guess at some level but then um you are aware that this is not real but you are aware that you are not seeing things as they are um satro had a very bad experience about that one yes uh, rather than seeing candy he was seeing crabs and lobsters all over the place as you i hope you know i might know satro is a french philosopher and jean paul sartre i hope i didn't butcher that pronunciation too much probably did but he injected himself with mescaline which is which contains these psychoactive it's a classic psychedelic yeah and then he just saw all of these huge giant crabs or giant lobsters just following him around everywhere and he knew that that wasn't real and he knew this was a side effect of mescaline mm. so it had nothing to do with insight it's just that your perceptions are distorted and will remain distorted Uh, as there is no known cure and it could be very scary hopefully not too much so so that those are the dangers that that you have to keep in mind while designing a study apart from the scheduling of the drug itself and the yeah. socio political aspects of it that you are working with profound dangerous substances i mean it seems to me almost like the psychologic side effects are more obviously clearly more than the physical harms it could do to to one and um that's why a lot of attention has to be paid to the psychological settings before one can be advised to use this medication yeah and and i guess one of the well we didn't call it a side effect but one of the uh negative effects would be that the experiences that you do have are horrifying you don't understand it what what is colloquially known as a bad trip a bad trip 
So that doesn't really harm you on a physical level, but the experiences that you have, the visions, the time distortion, all, all of those things that you're experiencing traumatize you basically and it's it's not a good experience you know you will you know why it's there you you know you've used some substances or you've ingested something which is alien to you and but then still just because you understand doesn't mean that won't have a potent effect on your psyche so we're coming very closely to the end of this um segment and um time for my own favorite part of the show the breaks the musical interludes the next song we're going to be playing for you to your listening pleasure the doors of perception by thievery corporation mafia has been kind enough to uh, say a few words over it i think you might enjoy this special edit William Blake The marriage of heaven and hell If the doors of perception declare Everything would appear to man as it is Infinite A man has closed himself up. So he sees all things through. Narrow chinks of his clothes. listening to the Nirvana principle show on melodic distraction radio uh we're here in our final segment and i thought it would be good to tell you what kind of results we're getting generally for the uh, mood disorder treatment such as the treatment resistant depression they've shown a large treatment effect that means that generally people do feel that their depression has reduced and this is on the back of depending on the study could be a single dose of psilocybin or two doses uh, about a week apart assisted with psychotherapy so psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is what they call it and that involves a emotional confrontation where the patient or the user is able to basically face their pain and they're able to visualize things obviously like we've mentioned earlier there's um a recall of repressed sometimes childhood memories it comes to the fore and it gives that opportunity to psychologically audit yourself 
and reprocess these memories into more adaptable forms. And you can box them away that are unresolved, are still um, affecting our daily understandings or interactions. You have the opportunity when these come up in these sessions to reprocess, to re-audit, to re-audit them. And obviously this is with the help of a trained psychotherapist. So participants meet this therapist before, during they are in the room as well if they want to talk, as well as one day after their trip or experience or treatment. And they go through what they've experienced and the things that they saw and what it means to them. I was also interested in and its applications outside psychiatry and some of the research that has been done around divinity and these experience of altered consciousness or um, connection with the higher power. Mafi, you want to tell us a bit about that? And for those who are religiously or spiritually inclined, there is a heightened sense of an, uh, an aura or mysticism about it. It does put you in touch with you feel something greater than yourself being present and prescient, being all around you. And um, this was keenly illustrated in the Marsh Chapel or the Good Friday Experiment that our dear friend from the 60s, uh, 50s, Timothy Leary. So, so the Marsh Chapel ex uh, experiment or Good Friday Experiment was actually done by students, at, by, by individuals at Harvard and students of divinity and theology. And the idea was to see whether an artificial substance can in induce a spiritual experience and bring people closer to God. Yeah, they did. Um, it was a sort of qualitative and a quantitative um, assessment of what um, theology, postgrad theology students will attribute to being a divine experience. And they charted things like unity, transcendence of time and space, a deeply felt positive mood, a sense of sacredness. Um, and other things they checked for were also um, persistent positive changes in attitude and behavior. These theology students, they rated um, the use of LSD as one of the most profound mystical spiritual experiences they had ever experienced. And not only at that point of assessment, even many decades afterwards, when they were revisited by um, Rick Dublin, they still rated this as a very significant life event, which goes on to show how long, um, for lack of a better expression, how long acting the effects of um, a properly orchestrated psychedelic therapy can be. Researchers have tried to compare this with an actual SSRI or an antidepressant. They call it uh, acetalopram, the one that was studied. Uh, this was, I think, the results came out this year, if I'm not mistaken, and they didn't show any significant difference in the antidepressant effect between using psilocybin and using the SSRI I mentioned, uh, acetalopram. Uh, however, one does have to keep in mind that there are two different approaches uh, a medication you would have to have every day versus a single episode of treatment which could potentially have effects uh, for months. I think personally it would depend on the side effects felt. Another recent study, Muffy, was, uh, came out, the results came out last week from Compass Pathways, which is a private company looking to use psilocybin to treat mental health disorders. They did a phase 2B trial. They did all of the stuff which makes a study robust. And it did show promise in 
improving mood but mixed reviews because it also had some adverse events for people putting themselves in danger or were were risk to themselves as well there are lights on the horizon but we have to be cautious in how quickly if at all we approach these molecules and yeah i think i think it does hold promise for for the future of um treatment of many mental health conditions um mm-hmm. as the studies gains a bigger numbers we get more more research more mm-hmm. reproducible research into this we're right about almost out of time mafi it's been a pleasure having you and thank you so much for taking your time out and sharing your experience and knowledge with us thank you very much it's always interesting having a chat with you and a special thank you to those who asked us questions about this episode prior to the show and you are also welcome to reach out on our socials on instagram or twitter we are there as nirvana.principle we welcome suggestions for new shows or topics we should cover i'm going to leave you with a song from uh, the playlist that john hopkins used when it was conducting research on individuals on psilocybin there were quite a few western songs there was a lot of like concertos bach things like that but the one that struck my fancy was lady smith black mambazo which apparently nelson mandela is also a fan of thank you so much as always for for listening until next time reveal yourself reveal yourself reveal yourself reveal yourself reveal yourself to be from heaven because we are directing to you to you to almighty we are directing to you forever almighty the sun rise and set set and set sun sun rise and set forever Your promise of our father said we down not for I am with thee be not dismayed for I am thy God I will stand in thee yeah I will help thee yeah I will uphold thee with my right hand of my righteousness reveal Reveal yourself, 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 sun rise and set forever almighty reveal yourself reveal yourself almighty because we are directing to you forever almighty because we are directing to you forever almighty reveal yourself reveal yourself almighty because we are directing to you forever almighty because we are directing to you forever almighty reveal yourself reveal yourself almighty reveal yourself reveal yourself almighty 
Because we are directing to you forever, Almighty. Because we are directing to you forever, Almighty. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal from where. 